Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. From China to New York City, the book Sour Heart reveals the fictional lives of a Chinese immigrant community, often shaped by bitter hardship and warm moments of family closeness. Author Jenny Zong weaves together a series of seven linked stories, which offer a unique perspective on what it's like to simultaneously grieve an old life while embracing a new one. Sour Heart is our September selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. And author Jenny Zong joins me from the studios of the Radio Foundation in New York City. Jenny, welcome to Under the Radar. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you. So let's start this way. Why short stories? Could have been a novel, but you chose (laughs) short stories. And I don't think a lot of people understand. It's actually harder to write short stories. So I'm very curious right off the bat why you chose that format. It's definitely harder to sell short stories. (laughs) Um, I definitely wanted to write a novel and felt the pressure of writing. I mean, there's such a thing as the great American novel, but I don't think there's such a thing as the great American short story um, or even the okay American short story. But it felt right in my case because I felt like I wanted to explore small lives and I wanted to give great respect and do to what might be seen as minor literature And it felt like the right form for these stories. And they kind of accrete over time and over the pages to build into a larger story. But it never felt like it was meant to be this big, sprawling novel. Mm -hmm. Well, as we've said, there are seven short stories, and the narrators are all young girls who all Mm -hmm. appear to be about in the fourth grade for much of the time that we spend with them, though you do a lot of time traveling in in these conversations. Yeah. What was it about writing through the perspective of these young girls at that age that felt right to tell these stories? And I'd love you to, in that answer, also just your take on what you think this book of short stories is about. Ooh, these are hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just childhood is such a fabled time. It's a period of our lives that it's very easy to idealize and wax romantically about. It's very easy to look back and just think of our childhoods as a simpler time. And then for some people, it's also easy to look back and think of it as a purely nightmarish time, a time when you had no control, where you were learning about all the things in the world that you had to fear and you were dependent on others. And I felt like I wanted to write about it in a way that was neither idealized nor a denigrated time. And it's also just a period of time where you're experiencing so many things for the first time and you're experiencing a loss of innocence on so many different levels. I guess I wanted to write about that time because this might sound kind of stupid, but I just remember thinking like 
When I turn 10, I'm going to enter into the double digits of my life, and I'll forever be in the double digits of my life. If I make it there, if I make it to 10, that period where I'm, you know, a single digit number age will be over. And I remember being afraid of that, and I remember being excited. Just that was a time when every day I was learning something new, and that new thing either gave me power or took it away from me. And I kind of just thought of this collection of short stories as, I suppose, a group portrait of a cohort of Chinese-American immigrants as told from the lens of their daughters. And it's a very specific group of Chinese-American immigrants. They're all highly educated. They've all survived the Cultural Revolution in China, only to kind of come to New York in the 90s and go through a whole other set of traumas. And then on top of that, they're trying to protect their children, these daughters, from the things that they experience, poverty, persecution, violence. But their daughters are experiencing on a different level a whole other set of violence that their parents can't understand and can't protect them from. And I just felt like that was the tragedy of being in a family who loves you is that you'll, I don't know, you have to grow up and be exposed to a violence that the generation ahead of you can't really fathom or understand. Oh, I think that explains it very well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Thank you. I'd like to uh, let people hear a bit of the book. So why don't we, uh, why don't you actually read from uh, page 204? In my first year in America, no matter what language I used, I was always wrong. In English, you can turn off the lights and close the door, but you can't close the lights and turn off the door. And in Chinese, you can close down the lights, but you can't simply wear glasses and shirts and hats because each of those things had its own specific counting word for wear, and every type of object in the world had to be counted differently. In English, some E's were soft, some G's were hard, some consonants sounded like others. Every rule had an exception. No exception didn't have rules. I started to regret saying anything at all. I started to see how delusional I had been to believe that words could only lift me into the glorious upper stratosphere of possibility instead of pulling me down into the drowning waters of inarticulation. My bad tongue mocked me, forever thinking that language was miraculous. Like, for example, how did anyone ever come up with a hundred different ways of saying, you have made this world a great one for me? That's my guest, Jenny Zong. She's the author of Sour Heart. It's a collection of short stories detailing the lives of Chinese-American girls who are talking about their families' experiences as immigrants to the United States. It's our September pick for Bookmark, the Under the Radar Book Club. Why Sour Heart? Now, the, one of the <laughs> early stories is that appears to be the character for whom you've named the book, because the mother says to her sour, she calls her tartberry, you know, she very mm-hmm. much refers to their shared like of sour tasting foods. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it came across to me as bigger than that. So I'm just curious about why you chose to name the book Sour Heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it does come from the first story, We Love You, Crispina, where the mother and her daughter, Christina, They love sour foods. They prefer it to sweet things. But it does kind of hover over the whole collection kind of symbolically as a metaphor. I know those are very freshman year of English class terms. But I just mean that it becomes meaningful in the sense that 
these are young girls who are not necessarily likable or sweet or who do what they're told. They don't necessarily have faces that make you want to be like, oh, like you cute, adorable little thing. Um, you know, these girls are rageful sometimes. They're selfish. They are problematic. And they're also just an individual struggling against maybe like an entire system or structure that may have soured. And by that, I just mean poverty is sour. Um, immigrating to another country and feeling like you might have to go back to where you came from, feeling like you might not be able to survive. This sours a soul. <laughs> but I also wanted to show that there's something lovely about sour things, that it's not necessarily so bad. And in all these stories, I think one of the central questions that these girls are grappling with is, who will love me if I'm this way, if I'm not a sweet girl? And what chance do I have for the rest of my life if I grow up this way, if I've already made these mistakes? So it kind of just became, I don't know, this sourness that becomes sweet, that becomes sour. I don't know, throughout the entire collection, I guess. Well, I took it more broadly as perhaps <laughs> sour heart, meaning, again, metaphorically, the bitter sweetness of uh, trying to belong, yes. to come to a new yes. place and trying to belong. There is something sweet about it, but it's bitter often in, in yes. that struggle. So so that's, it's true. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's what I took away. I love that. And also, I didn't even remember this as I was writing the book, but afterwards my friend was like, you know, in Chinese, sour is also the word you use when you exercise a lot and your muscles are really sore or you've kind of, you know, had a really hard day. It's also a word that means there is this bitter sweetness. It's like the sour sweetness of knowing that you went through a lot and you put your body through a lot, but it feels good because you know the next day you'll be stronger. And I didn't even remember that writing this book, but hmm. I like that. Well, what's interesting has been, as I've looked at some of the reviews of the book, which has universally gotten very good response, people zero in on the language. I had to pick around places to get you to read because the language is a little intense. Mm. <laughs> and um, I thought about it and I said, well, these are kids that would try to go there. But yeah. alternatively, the stories have been described as a brittle, obscene, unsparing, grotesque, mm. Funny, gorgeous, brilliant. It's very interesting <laughs> spectrum of how it's been yeah. responded to. Because to your point, these very small stories, you've really gotten in there uh, in a very intimate <laughs> way. And, you know, uh, some of these girls, you think, oh, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Mm. Um, yes. But obviously, this is quite intentional on your part. And I have to say, as a reader, sometimes you go, whoo, it hits you. Yeah. That was your intention, right? <laughs> I never intended to shock or provoke, but you know what's interesting is sometimes something that is so, like something you've heard a million times, I could say it, and then to someone else, it's the first time they've ever heard it. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And it uh -huh. really shows how you grew up and, and what you know. And in some ways, like these girls, it's not that they're not afraid of using profanity, but it's that they've grown up in a neighborhood where that is so common. It's as common as someone else growing up in a neighborhood where you never hear profanity. And I guess 
I wanted to write intimately. And in my intimate knowledge of this world, that is how they talk. And it's only later if those of these families who maybe become upwardly mobile and move into, quote unquote, a more respectable neighborhood or a more upper class neighborhood, that they realize not all the world talks this way. And so I think when people, you know, are like, Zhang is unsparing. I don't mind that, but it also shows me like, oh, that reveals a little bit of maybe how you grew up and what you think is normal and what you think is not normal, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels very right for the characters. It's just, it's, it, it, to your point, it's not what you're expecting of little girls. You you learn that they're yes. little girls. You learn that they're in this sort of vulnerable position with their families, and you're expecting, I don't know, <laughs> Rockabye Baby <laughs> or something, and then they come yeah. out with this, and you're like, wait a minute, what happened to that image? <laughs> yes. Um, this is my, I'm talking to Jenny Zong. She's the author of Sour Heart, a collection of short stories detailing the lives of Chinese-American girls. Now, This is the immigrant story that it felt to me very different from an Ellis Island recounting. Mm. Um, You said at the beginning that this is, of course, a unique community. These families, you have these small stories that are meant to speak to their experience. But you really came away with thinking about immigration and what immigrants go through in a a different way, it felt to me. And maybe that's because Mm. it's the voice of the little girls. I was just interested in how often you went back and forth between the impact of the cultural revolution, which was pretty brutal, and happened to those parents and what now is being filtered down as a result of that to the young girls in this country. Could you talk about that a little bit and maybe explain just briefly what the cultural revolution was? Yeah, so the cultural revolution was... This pretty devastating period of time that loosely started in 1966, where Mao Zedong basically declared that China was going to have a cultural revolution and kind of purge itself of these sort of bourgeois, rightist, revisionist elements that was stopping China from achieving and going along in the road to full communism. But it quickly became kind of this period of terror that lasted over a decade. Anyone could be a target, anyone who, you know, made art, anyone who was an academic. Um, it was very easy to be suddenly ratted out as quote-unquote bourgeois, and people were tortured, people were severed from their homes, people died, people were imprisoned. It was a pretty hellish time. And it was also a time when youth, instead of going to school, for example, would be sent down to rural communities and do basically, you know, rural work for their entire adolescence. So a lot of people like my parents who were 12, 13 when the Cultural Revolution started kind of lost their childhoods to violence, to hard labor. And there's just an entire generation of people who have a lot of trauma that has never been processed because the government has never really apologized for it or even really acknowledged it. And I am writing in this collection of short stories about a very specific class, and it's the artist class. You know, it's the the scholarly class. It's exactly the class of people who had their lives kind of turned upside down by the Cultural Revolution, um, who had their families ripped apart. And in these stories, these are people who would have been poets and artists, diplomats, if not for the Cultural Revolution and everything that happened in China in the 60s and 70s. And they kind of come to America with these 
lost dreams, these I could have beens and I would have beens if not only, if, if only I hadn't, blah, blah, blah. And they have to start over in America, even though a lot of them come to the United States to get PhDs or degrees of higher learning. All of them kind of drop out and can't make it. They kind of realize that it's going to be very hard to be an English professor with the face they have and the accent they speak in. And so a lot of them in these stories, as is truly very common, quit their academic programs and end up doing things like um, working in a restaurant or selling umbrellas in the street or delivering takeout to people all around Manhattan. And there's kind of this way in which trauma is passed down in these stories where these young girls are constantly hearing about their parents talking about what happened to them. And this curious thing happens where the daughters, instead of feeling sympathy or compassion for their parents, they're annoyed. They're kind of like, can you stop talking about this? <laughs> can you stop subjecting me to your trauma? And it, it creates this dissonance where they love their parents and, and their parents love them, but there's so much pain and there's nowhere for it to go. So that was just one of the things I was exploring in these stories. Well, you mentioned the mothers. There's a lot of mother-daughter interaction, and, and, yeah. what, and what you've just described is they're sort of, stop talking to me about it. I'd love you to read from page 137. The story is uh, Our Mothers Before Them. It was my mother who tucked him in and told him, there exists a sort of love in the world that only survives as long as no one speaks of it. And that was the reason why he would never have to worry because my grandmother was never going to be the kind of mother who held her children in her arms and told them how smart and beautiful and talented they were. She was only ever going to scold them, make them feel diminutive, make them feel like they were never good enough, make them know this world wouldn't be kind to them. She wasn't going to let someone else be better than her at making her children feel pain or scare them more than she could, and to her that was a form of protection. And that's how we'll be with our own children, my mother told my uncle, proud that she had realized this. Because we'll learn from our mother who learned from her mother who learned from her mother who learned from her mother before her and all the mothers before them. That's how I imagine we'll be, my mother said, watching my uncle's mouth open slightly, allowing a trickle of drool to escape his nightly ritual before falling asleep. That's my guest, Jenny Zong. She's the author of Sour Heart, a collection of short stories about the lives of Chinese-American girls. It's our September pick for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. So the mothers and daughters connection all through these stories, it was interesting to me that you, you chose that because it could have been daughters and fathers interaction, yeah. but yet it's mothers. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the relationship of... You know, daughters and mothers, girlhood and womanhood, it's a really, really, really special one and unlike anything. And the ways in which just the power, I think, that mothers have over their daughters, it's just beyond. And also, I think just realistically in these stories, because I'm, I am writing about a time when these families are still kind of trying to make it and become financially stable. The fathers are working so much. They're, you know, working two jobs and taking 
night classes, and the fathers are usually the ones who come to the United States to get their degrees, and the mothers are the ones who come with them and perhaps don't know as much English and have a harder time getting jobs. So just realistically, there's less time for these girls to spend with their fathers. But also, I was just really interested in exploring that mother-daughter relationship because, again, it's a relationship that is very idealized at time. Like, there's a lot of notions in our cultural imagination about, you know, what the perfect mother is like, what the most giving, patient, loving, nurturing mother is like. And of course, you know, mothers are just humans and they falter and and they make mistakes and we ding them for that. And I, I guess I wanted to show that whole messy, complicated, tense, but also loving relationship, but also kind of just, I don't know, show a little bit of charity and beneficence and show that it's okay, you know, to screw up when you're a mom and also show why they screw up. And as we were talking earlier about the Cultural Revolution, a lot of these mothers, I think if they had been born into a different socioeconomic class and a different perhaps race, they would have access to mental health services. You know, they'd be processing their trauma. They would be diagnosed perhaps as having some kind of mood disorder or something. But in this world, they're just unloading all of their pain and all of the things that has nowhere to go onto their daughters. And their daughters can sometimes feel very disfigured and very burdened by this constant unloading of pain. Well, Jenny Zong, I want to point out to my listeners that you're no slouch. You're a poet and essayist. (laughs) You attended Stanford and the Iowa Writers Workshop, so you've had time to think deeply about these issues. And your book, This Sour Heart Book, is the first published under the new imprint called Linny, which is a division of Random House, and um, that is owned by and created by Lena Dunham of Girls fame with her partner, Jenny Connor. How did you come to their attention? We actually met, or we didn't meet, but we read together at a reading for Rookie Magazine, mm. uh, which is a great magazine for teenage girls that Tavi Kevinson founded. And I was a staff writer on Rookie. And anyway, I read something at a celebration for Rookie, and Lena also read something there. And I guess she just took notice of me, and then she started reading my poetry and Fast forward <laughs> several years, and we just struck up a correspondence, and she kind of just would, from time to time, periodically check on me and mm-hmm. see what I was up to. And each time I would be like, nothing, nothing's happening for me. <laughs> and, then, and then it despondent. did. She made it happen, yes. yes. And then she made it happen. Yeah. She she asked if I had something I wanted to send to her editor at Random House, the incredible Andy Ward. And at the time, I didn't even have an agent, so I was like, I don't know what the point of that would be. But I, I did it, and it just all kind of started from there. What's your favorite story? That's my last question in, in this piece of the interview. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I have a soft spot in my heart for the first story, We Love You, Crispina. I think because that family is so different from mine, and in some ways, like, that was the family when I was young and maybe more naive, I thought I wanted, Mm. which is a family that was really took to the American spirit of like rugged individualism and wanting adventure. This is a family who just came to America and, and really embraced 
that American spirit of going on adventures, doing what feels good to you, not being so worried about your obligations and your responsibilities. And that was the family I wanted. And so it was really fun to write that story and realize that that family, like all families, is flawed as well. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Jenny Zong is the author of Sour Heart. It is our September selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Sour Heart is available in bookstores and online now. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories and books we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org slash UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineers are Doug Sugarts and John Parker. Andrea Swai is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. Thank you.